Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. This morning's message is the sins of worry and anxiety. The sins of worry and anxiety. So, if you never worry, then you can maybe take a nap and just, you know, for those who worry, you can, you know, pay attention. But um, I think it might pertain to all of us this morning, young and old. And I'm seeing more and more that young people, grade school kids, teenagers, are becoming burdened with worries. And you would think in their young lives, what, I mean, I look back when I was a kid, I, I can't ever have a, a worry in the world, but uh, it's not the same world now. And um, a lot of people are worried about a lot of things. And worry includes many different emotions, like anger, fear, grief, or specifically in our lesson here this morning, anxiety, which is the emotion of worry and fretting that troubles and plagues so many people, and even Christians today. Now, in our last lesson, Jesus focused on our attitude regarding possessions, about uh, about regarding luxury, those unnecessary physical possessions that we seem to stockpile for ourselves. And I've noticed over the years, and I've told to my wife, and we both agree that, uh, you know, you drive down the street and you see these garages that are open. They're no longer garages. They're warehouses. You know, three-car garages, they got maybe one car in them, and the rest is just filled with stuff to the brim, to the ceiling. And, and so, again, it, it, we, we collect, I guess. You know, we have stuff and don't want to get rid of it or we have these emotional ties or whatever it is. But in our lesson this morning, Jesus focuses on our attitude when it comes to what we eat, what we drink, and what we wear. That is the necessities of life that we definitely need to have to exist. Now, the first lesson is directed particularly at the rich, and the second particularly at the poor. But both the rich and the poor have their particular spiritual problems. Rich people have one problem, and that is those who have little or nothing uh, of this world's goods carry quite a different problem. The rich tend to be concerned with accumulating more and more stuff. <clears throat> the more are desperately, the poor are desperately trying. To make ends meet, but they can be equally distracting to the spiritual life. The rich are tempted to trust in their possessions. The poor, on the other hand, are tempted to doubt God's provision. The rich are tempted to become self-satisfied in the false security of their riches, where the poor are tempted to worry and fear in the false security of their possessions, or I'm sorry, of their of their poverty. Now, whether people are poor or rich or somewhere in the middle, their attitude toward material positions or possessions is one of the most dependable ways of recognizing their spiritual condition. And because man is an earthly being, he's naturally concerned about earthly things. But in Christ, we're new creatures. Earthly things should no longer be our main concern. And our new concern should now focus mostly on the things above, <clears throat> even though we're still here on the earth. 
Now, Jesus, he sends us into this world to do his work, just like the Father sent Jesus into the world to do the Father's work. But we're not to be of the world, just like Jesus was not of the world while doing his earthly ministry when he was here. One of the best tests of, spiritual, of our spiritual lives, then, is how we view and connect to those two worlds, the world above and the world below. Sixteen out of the 38 parables of Jesus deal with money. One out of ten verses in the New Testament deals with money. The Bible offers about 500 verses on prayer, less than half of that on faith, and over 2,000 on money. The believer's attitude when it comes to money and possessions determines how he or she views things. It shows their view of things. Today we live in a time of materialism. It's a time that's guided by by greed, ambition, success, status, and self-indulgence. It's all about me. Today we show a lot more evidence of following the worldly fashions of our day than challenging them or trying to change them. This being true, it's it's hard for most of us to relate to Jesus' warning not to worry about our basic needs. We're well fed. We're well clothed. We're well established in all of the things that we need and in many things that we really don't need for this life. The main point of Jesus' message this morning is this. Do not worry even about the necessities of life. Do not worry even about the necessities of life. He gives the command, do not worry, three times. Once in verse 25, 31, and 34. And he gives several reasons why worry, that is being anxious, is wrong. First, it's unfaithful. Why? Because of our master. Secondly, it's unnecessary because of our father. Third, it's unreasonable because of our faith. And fourth, it's unwise because of our future. The distress of anxiety is the subject of our text this morning. And we need to think about three things that are important that's related to this, this, this lesson on anxiety. And make notes of these things so that you can look at them, you know, and go back through them when you're feeling burdened with worry. First of all, just exactly what does the word worry mean here in our text? Well, the word is found in different forms six times in our text. Verse 25, verse 27, verse 28 verse 31, and then twice in verse 34. The word worry in our text here means to be anxious about. Thayer, in his Greek lexicon, has defined it to read, to be troubled with cares. To worry or to anxious is to be anxious is to be troubled with cares. So it speaks about both worry and anxiety. And the word mostly means anxious care. Anxious care. It's uneasiness and worry about the future, which Jesus condemns here. And remember, you can't do anything about the future. And remember, when you begin to worry about the future, you are trespassing into God's territory. Only God knows the future and can deal with the future. 
So again, it's about the future which Jesus condemns here. In the King James Version, the word worry is, is, is translated as thought, all right? Meaning anxiety, worry, or fretting. And we find that expression three times in our text. This is the second thing to consider because it's important and it's not to be ignored because when something is repeated in Scripture, it not only emphasizes the importance of the instruction, but it also emphasizes how slow we are to pay attention to the lesson. That's why Jesus says, okay, I'm going to tell you a second time. I'm going to tell you a third time. And if I have to, a fourth time because I know you're slow at getting what I'm telling you. So when Jesus repeats the command three times, we need to sit up, our ears need to be ready to hear, and we need to pay serious attention. And the repetition says that this is important and that we need to learn this lesson well. So the warning about worry is important. We need to pay attention to what Jesus says and we need to follow his commands about what he says. The third thing to be considered is how this lesson applies to us this morning. Because this text is very practical. Because it's about a very common problem that all people deal with. Jesus' teaching here is not some isolated hypothetical instruction that's impossible to make application to our lives. The application of our text about worrying and fretting and anxiety is for all all men and women. And it's a subject that concerns each one of us this morning because in varying degrees, all are guilty of the very thing that Jesus forbids here. We're all guilty in some degree of of the very thing that Jesus forbids us not to do, and that is don't worry. Jesus' teaching is also practical and always practical. And this emphasis, or this emphasizes that no book is more practical than the Bible. It's never out of date. It never needs to be revised. It's always relevant for every culture and civilization. You cannot say this about any other book. So now we're going to look at the condemnation and the remedy for anxiety. Most of the texts, verses 25 through 34, deal with the problem of the, or I should say, condemns anxiety. It deals with the condemnation of anxiety. Only one verse deals with the remedy. All other verses deal with this condemnation. So let's begin now with chapter 6, beginning with verse 25a or 25, the first part. It says, Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So again, the vast majority of the Lord's people are tormented on every side by distracting worry in their everyday lives. But Jesus says here, take no distracting thought. That's what the, the, what the real force of these words says. When he says, don't worry, the real force of the words are, take no distracting thought for those things. Now, we obviously have to think about our material necessities, food and clothing. But we're not to be consumed over these things. Jesus instructed us not to worry or fret or be anxious about food or clothing. 
Don't become so concerned with these things that you get yourself all worked up and you get sidetracked from the more important things in life, which is specifically your spiritual life. Spiritual matters. It is significant that the two things, food and clothing, which Jesus mentions, they're not luxuries. They're essentials in life. We need them. We have to eat. We have to wear clothes. But it is possible to get all worked up and anxious about these basic needs when we, t- when we take our eyes and attention and our interest off of the more important things, which are our spiritual needs. Those who ignore their spiritual needs or who are unbelieving and don't care about their spiritual needs are really ripe and ready for anxiety problems. Because you see, all their interests are on temporal things that can be summed up as food and clothing. We need to understand that Jesus now, we, yeah, that Jesus is not forbidding the proper attention to material things that we need. What he's forbidding is the wrong attentions toward them. And he's not forbidding that we plan ahead, but he is forbidding feelings that things are not going to go well in the future. Jesus is not teaching us that we're not to think about and to take the proper steps regarding food and clothing. Okay, it's the unreasonable concern for these things that Jesus is forbidding here. Jesus's command forbids the anxious care for food and clothing, which does not cancel out the proper care for those things. And it doesn't mean going to the extreme. Like, okay, well, if I'm not supposed to worry about food and clothing and all that kind of stuff, I'm just going to fold up my arms, sit back, and and not do anything. I'm just going to wait for for God to send a messenger and drop it off at my doorstep. No. Then Jesus gives us reasons as to why we shouldn't be anxious about our needs of food and clothing. He says in the second part of verse 25, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, life consists, life is made up of more than food and clothing. There's a spiritual part of of life that's the most important part of life. Jesus said in Mark 8, 36, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? You see, you can have all the food you want and all the clothes that you want, but what good will that do you if your soul goes to hell? The way the world thinks about things, you wouldn't know that there was a spiritual part of life and that it's important. Because you see, they don't know much about anything else but material and physical. But as verse 33 shows us here at the end of our text, there is the spiritual side of life, which is a whole lot more important than food and clothes. But to many people, they make food so important that they literally make God their belly, Philippians 2. 319 tells us as far as clothes go they don't care about making the robe of righteousness their wardrobe for their soul the second reason for justifying the condemnation of anxiety is the fact of the care that god has for us the great care this care is emphasized by god's care for lesser creatures Jesus shows the great care that God has for the birds of the air and the flowers, which are of lesser importance and of lesser value than man. The point is, if God cares for them, that is, the birds and the flowers, the way he does, 
he will surely care for us. Look at what Jesus says in verse 26 now. Look at the birds of the air, he says, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. He says, they don't plow, they don't harvest, they don't stock it in barns. He says, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You see, Jesus simply shows us that if these birds who don't even sow, that is, they don't plant, that is, they don't reap, they don't harvest, and they don't provide for their future, they're cared, by God, cared for by God. He says, how much more will God provide for those who do? Speaking of us. This simply shows us that if these birds who don't even sow and reap and provide for the future are cared for by God, how much more will he provide for you who do those things? And it's summed up in the words, are you not more value, of value than they are? The answer is yes. This means God will care for humans better than animals. And these words of Jesus really exposes the false belief of environmentalists and the people so concerned about animal rights. Humans are worth more and are more important than any animal. So some of these weird thoughts and ideas of these groups show how much they don't know and how much disbelief there is in the scriptures. Then we see God's care for flowers. Look at verses 28 through 30. Jesus said this. So why do you worry about clothing? He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? So this second illustration of the care of God shows how much he cares. It's seen in the fact that even though, though the flowers don't work or they don't make any clothing, God still, still takes care of them. Jesus is pointing out here that if he cares for that which doesn't work or make clothing, then how much more does he care for those humans that do? How wonderfully God takes care of the flowers. It's seen in the fact that, that, that he says, notice that they're more beautiful than anything King Solomon ever wore. It shows that flowers are not of the worth and the value of man because they perish quickly. It says then, and they're thrown into the oven. What is meant by that? They're thrown in the oven as fuel for cooking. Once the flowers are dead and gone, they're thrown in, they're, they're used like wood and anything else to, to cook. They're just fuel for cooking. So how much more then will God care sufficiently for your clothing? And then Jesus' final argument justifying condemning anxiety is the wicked character of anxiety or worry. There is nothing good about worry or anxiety because it is pointless, it is faithless, it is fleshly, and it's irreverent. Look at verse 27. Jesus tells us how it's pointless, how it's unnecessary. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Worry is a strong emotion. But though it's strong and it's powerful, it doesn't have the ability to change anything. 
So we get all worked up. For what? They can't do anything for me. It doesn't have the ability to change whatever I'm worrying about. It doesn't have the ability to do anything good. It can't add to your height. The word stature can also be translated age. Either way, the uselessness, the uselessness of worry is emphasized here. It is of no use to be anxious, Jesus is saying. Worry does not solve your problems. As a matter of fact, it only creates them. And it adds to your already existing problems. That's why Jesus says in verse 28, so why do you worry? Secondly, worry is faithless. It's unworthy. In verse 30, Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. You see, how can you worry and say, hey, you have faith? Worry and faith can't live in the same heart. When the disciples were out in the boat in the middle of the lake, Sea of Galilee, and the storm came up, and the disciples went to Jesus, Lord, don't you care? We're perishing. He said, oh, you of little faith. Where's your faith? Because you see, faith and fear can't live in the same heart. Another condemnation against the character of worry is that it's not an exercise of faith, but lack of faith. Paul said in Romans 14, 23, whatever is not from faith is sin. Jesus finds this evil of anxiety to be a lack of faith or little faith. Jesus said, notice in verse 32, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. So if my father knows what I need and he's promised to take care of all of my needs, why am I worrying? It's a sign of lack of faith. We show little faith in what Jesus said when we worry. A.W. Pink, who was an English Bible teacher, calls this lack of faith, which causes worry, wicked unbelief. Why? Because it calls into question the goodness and the care of our Creator. It's a sign of a lack of faith in his wise and wonderful providence. It causes us to doubt our Father's love. Worrying means that you don't think that God can look after the daily details of our lives. Worry is a mild form of atheism and infidelity. That's why anxiety, or that's, yeah, and why anxiety is so condemning. It's a mild form of atheism, of not believing in God, of infidelity, of unfaithfulness to God. Then worrying is fleshly. It's unprofitable. Look at verses 31 and 32. In light of what Jesus has said from verse 25 up to verse 30, now Jesus says, therefore, or why do, therefore, do not worry. You know, he says the birds, they don't reap and sow, and God takes care of them. The plants, the, the flowers, they don't plant and reap and toil. And look how beautiful they are. God takes care of them. Now, knowing that, don't worry. 
saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For, notice, for after all these things, the Gentile seeks, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. Jesus is saying, don't, don't worry what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. He says, because that's what the Gentiles seek. That's what the unheathen, or the heathen, the unbeliever worries about. And when we worry about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're, we're acting just like the unbeliever. Those are the things the unbelievers work, worry about. Our Father knows we need all these things. Jesus here says that worry is fleshly. In other words, it's something that the heathen and unbelievers do. They live in the flesh, not in the spirit. You see, the world doesn't think in spiritual terms. They are totally focused on the world and on the flesh. The world is all caught up with the goods and the clothes, but believers should be different. Worry is not a trait. It is not the char- a characteristic of those who are walking in the spirit. It only characterizes those walking after the flesh. And then lastly, worry is ungodly. Worry is ungodly. Look at verse 34. Again, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worry produces bad things. First of all, it causes ungodly behavior. Worry does not purify. Worry only pollutes. Worry produces anxiety, and anxiety will lead to the sin of accumulating goods. If my father, if I'm doubting God and I'm doubting his provision and his loving care, and, and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what I believe God can't do. I'm going to go out and accumulate goods. Worry causes people to do evil things to solve problems. Because acting without faith will always lead to evil doing. And then, as many of us know, worry produces unhealthy consequences. And we need to take notice that many illnesses today are brought on by anxiety. Like ulcers, headaches, other physical and mental problems rooted in worry. Let me read you a a, a report on anxiety. It says, experiencing occasional anxiety is a normal part of life. However, people with anxiety disorders often have intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. Often anxiety disorders involve repeated episodes of sudden feelings of intense anxiety and fear or terror that reach a peak within minutes. And that's what is uh, is a, a panic attack. These feelings of anxiety and panic interfere with daily activities. They're difficult to control. And here's the thing. They're out of proportion to the actual danger. In other words, we get so worked up and so paralyzed by fear and worry. And and it's way above the actual danger that we're fretting about. In other words, we're making a mountain out of a molehill. That's what the report says here. And that can last a long time. You may avoid places or situations to prevent these feelings. Systems, uh, symptoms may start during uh, childhood or the teen years and continue into adulthood. 
Examples of anxiety disorders include generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, social phobias, specific phobias, and separation anxiety disorder. You can have more than one anxiety disorder. Sometimes anxiety results from a medical condition that needs treatment. The treatment includes medications and therapy. Now, and I know and from my own experience, I dealt with anxiety and panic attacks. When I was working in my secular job, and, and I don't know, and I was trying to remember when and, and what it, how it started, but <clears throat> I was thinking that it may have started when I knew I was going on staff at Golden Springs. And that was because I'm about to quit a job that I was at for over 25 years. Seniority, great position, great money for, for a man without a college education working in a pharmaceutical company for those years and being promoted through the ranks. And I'm getting ready to quit and go into full-time ministry. I still have a family, a house. I have two young girls. And, and, and if the church, you know, if the church doesn't get off the ground, Pastor Rawl said, okay, I'm going to give you 10 months, you know, to be on your own. And if at the 10 months, in the 10 months, he said, I'm, you know, you'll be off the payroll, you'll have to find a job. I'm thinking, I'm a 50-year-old guy. I'm started at 50, mind you. And here's a 50-year-old guy with no college education whatsoever. Where am I going to find a job paying at the time in 1990, $65,000 a year? I'm going to be a McDonald's or something, which, again, for me, it's going to be quite a decrease in pay, but whatever. And so I'm thinking, and I'm starting, maybe is that why I'm starting to, you know, have these, these, these concerns and stuff? And then when I went to Golden Springs, I, you know, I started having these panic attacks. I mean, I had them at, at my old job first. I was, you know, I start feeling just my heart would start to beat and I said, oh, man, am I having a heart attack? Am I, I start having this tingling and numbness in my left arm. I'm surely having a heart attack. I'd run up to human resources, and I'd go see the, the PA, and he'd check my heart and my pulse, and he said, Joe, you're okay. I'm not okay. I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> no, you're okay. Oh, man. So, you know, I dealt with this for, for some months, you know, and I went to Golden Springs, and they actually saw one. I was in a prayer meeting with the guys, and they actually saw this taking place. My, my face got flushed. I, they said I got real pale. My heart was pounding. I had the thing going on in my arm. And they said, Joe, are you okay? And I go, well, you know, I'm feeling a little dizzy and this and that. And, and so anyway, they said, you need to go to the doctor. You need to get checked out. And so I did. I went, and I did blood tests. I had my heart checked out, EKG, and all the instrument things that you can do to check your heart and whatever. And and the blood test, everything came back fine. EKG was fine, Joe. There's no so sign of any former heart attack or recent heart attack. And your blood work doesn't show anything that your heart producing enzymes. Show, everything was, he says, as far as your tests are going, you're in good health. I'm having heart attacks. <laughs> I've got to be having heart attacks. And, and, and then I realized it was the enemy. Now, there are clinically, you know, clinical needs and anxiety things that were medicine is, you know, medication is required. So I'm not saying don't get off of medicine and saying that, you know, you're all, you know, it's all up here. There are actual needs that where you need to be, you know, like it says here, it says some anxiety results from a medical condition that needs treatment. 
which is medication therapy. So when I asked the doctor, well, okay, if there's nothing wrong, what, what, why am I having these panic attacks? Well, is, you know, is there something stressful in your life? Is something changed? Are you going through something different? And I, I really couldn't think of anything, and I really didn't think that I was worrying and stressing, but I hold things inside, and then it's when it starts to build, I guess, and make a longer story short, I asked, okay, well, what can we do to fix this? He said, well, I can give you Prozac and put you in therapy. You said I wasn't sick. Why do you want to give me Prozac? Why do you want me to put me in therapy? I said, nope, I'm not going to do it. And I went home and I apologized. Lord, forgive me. I was carrying the burdens that you said you would carry. I wasn't resting in you, Lord. I was carrying these things myself. And from that point on, I never had any more panic attacks to this day. Now, I will still start to feel myself getting anxious, but I recognize, wait a minute. No, that's, okay, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm taking this stuff away from you again. Here, you can have it back. But I don't have them like I did before. And uh, I realize that, you know, Satan wants to, he wants to paralyze you with fear, with anxiety, with worry. Like the report said, you don't want to go out. You can't be around people. He wants to get you isolated where you can't function. But we need to recognize the tactics of the devil. Get a physical. Get everything checked out. And you know what? If you're physically okay, I believe that Satan, you know, he wants to harass us, distress us, oppress us mess with us all that he can psalm 37 8 the, the, the psalm said do not fret that's a command and then he says it only causes harm notice the counsel we get from the scriptures even way back god knows holy spirit knows that that fret only causes harm and we just read it you know ulcers and headaches and everything else that comes along with it a fretful heart is not a trusting heart because it lacks joy and peace faith and works go together anyone who gives in to anxiety is seriously doing themselves harm and that's what we do we give into it rather than fight it then stand back and say okay lord I'm fine physically. Well, this has to be in the enemy. James tells us to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And, at, and, at, and lastly, worry brings about unhelpful conditions. Worrying about tomorrow only hinders how we function today, and it doesn't do anything to help us function tomorrow. Stop and think about it. What good can your worrying do? Does it change anything? Make a list of the things that you're worried about, and then put a check next to the ones that you can't do anything about. Make a list of what you're worrying about and then say, can I fix this one? Can I change it? Mark them all. Most of them you can't do anything about. And you're worrying about things you can't do anything about. Does worrying change anything? Does it do you any good? Does it take away your trials? It doesn't help you escape from what you're going through. 
But what it does take away from you is strength and comfort and it makes you unable to cope when it does come. Jesus said in verse 33, So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Here is where Jesus now gives you the remedy for anxiety. The remedy is found in seeking spiritual things instead of material things. This involves seeking the rule of God in your life, seeking his kingdom and the righteousness of God. It says so much in, so, in just so few words. It tells us and says so much to us in just a few words, which if you would follow Christ's words here, it would cure a lot of problems besides anxiety in many people's lives today. Seeking the kingdom of God involves seeking the rule of God over my life. Is he ruling my life? This means submitting to God's commands. And what did James say? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. It means seeking the kingdom of God. It means seeking the rule of God, submitting to God's God's commands. The thing that creates so much anxiety in people is disobedience to the word of God. How can you call him Lord when you disobey him? Jesus asked that question in Luke 6, 46 to the disciples. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? What Jesus was implying is either stop calling me Lord or start doing what I tell you. Which is, is, if he's our Lord, then we must obey him and serve him. And Jesus especially demonstrated the rule of God regarding the problem of food, which is involved in this lesson about anxiety. When Satan tempted Jesus, remember, in the wilderness, and he said, Jesus, make make stones out of this bread. He was hungry 40 days and 40 nights. He had gone without food. And and Satan tells Jesus, "Make, make bread out of these stones. Jesus refused. You know why? It wasn't the will of God. Jesus gave us a lesson on submission regarding food, which if we followed again, it would eliminate a lot of anxiety problems. And when God rules in our heart, there will be peace in our heart. There will be peace in the soul. And if we seek the rule of God, we will then get the victory over the troublesome effects of anxiety. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seeking the righteousness of God means to seek to live according to God's holy commands to live pure and holy lives. It means to be more concerned about your character than your circumstances like your clothes and your food. The more more holy we are, the less worry we'll have. The problem is today people are more concerned about happiness than holiness. We need to be more concerned about the robe of righteousness for our soul than the clothing for our physical body. When we're busy seeking the robe of righteousness for our souls, we won't be preoccupied worrying about clothes for the body. The Lord's exhortation here to seek first is about spiritual matters. Seek first spiritual things. It simply says the priority of spiritual matters over material matters, like food and clothing. This means let the things of God, 
and your own eternal interests have the main place in your thoughts and desires, making the glory of God and your spiritual blessings your greatest concern. Here, Jesus places the kingdom of God and his righteousness before the temporal blessings of food and clothing. When you get your paycheck, pay God his due first. If you don't, you'll be asking for anxiety when it comes to meeting your own needs. Many people say, well, I can't afford to give to God. You can't afford not to. When it comes to Sunday, make church your priority over other events. When it comes to Christian service, put the Lord first over all other involvements. You see, too many times it's not God first, but only when it's convenient, when I don't have anything else on my schedule. Anxiety can be cured when God is put first. You'll, you'll only make your anxiety worse when God is less important in your life. The meaning of the word seek here that Jesus uses is seek first the kingdom of God. The word seek tells us that great effort is to be made in this seeking. The word seek means to strive after, and it requires a lot of effort and energy to seek the kingdom of God. It's not a casual act. It's an effort that should consume you. In seeking God, it should consume you. I should be making every effort I can to seek God. And then, Jesus said in verse 33, all these things will be added unto you. You see, put spiritual things first and the other matters of life will be taken care of adequately. That's what Jesus promises here. Those who give to God will often find out that they can live better on little than on a whole warehouse of goodies. To ignore what Jesus said will strip us of our necessities and it will add to our troubles. According to John Butler... All these things that Jesus mentions is very significant in the original. It's taken from a custom between buyers and sellers when things were sold by measure. What the seller would do, he would add an extra amount on the scale of what the person was buying to ensure a good weight and to please his customer. So you see, the Lord promises to those who truly seek his kingdom and his righteousness that besides the happy result that you'll experience, it's like God saying, I will throw in for nothing for you and add for good measure all the material things that you need for your life. I'll just throw it in there for you. But understand, his promise doesn't exclude the testings in our life and the sufferings that we'll often experience. And sometimes providence, and we have to admit, sometimes providence does seem to contradict the promises of God. But testing is needed to strengthen our faith and our commitment to God. Sometimes testing will reveal why we seek God first. Do we do it just to gain materially, or do we seek God first because our soul needs Him? We have to put God's will first in our lives so that He might be glorified. And if we have faith in our Father and we put Him first, He will meet our needs. Anxiety is sin. And if we practice the true righteousness of the kingdom of God, we will avoid these sins and we will live for God's glory. So in closing, 
Jesus told us here not to worry about tomorrow. We are, not to, uh, we, are, we are not to add tomorrow's cares to today's cares. At the end of verse 33, that's where Jesus says, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, today's trouble is enough for today. I got enough to handle today in my life without having to worry about what's tomorrow going to do. As long as we are in a sinful world, we will be plagued by difficulties. God does not promise that tomorrow will be trouble-free, but tomorrow, just like today, is in His good and capable hands. God wants us to be trustful of Him. And He doesn't want, want us to be anxious. He doesn't want us to have any anxious thoughts. He would have us live one day at a time. Corey Ten Boom said this, Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrows. It empties today of strength. And I'll finish with an old fable about a clock. There was an old fable about a clock that stood in the corner of a room, busily busily ticking away the hours. The clock, beginning to think and worry, said to itself, I tick once every second. There are 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour. That means I have to tick 3,600 times every hour and 86,400 times every day. Then there's tomorrow and the day after that, days and weeks and months ahead. In a year, I will have to tick 31,536,000 times. The clock became discouraged. And as it added the burden of unborn days to the burden of the present moment of time, it began to run more and more slowly until it almost came to a stop. Then the clock had an encouraging thought. Hey, after all, it said to itself, it's only one tick at a time. With that flash of insight, the clock gathered strength and carried on with its allotted task, measuring the passing moments one tick at a time. Father, thank you so much for this awesome passage, Lord. Father, we thank you for such encouraging counsel, God. And Lord, help us to take it and understand that it's exactly what it is. It is, it is God-given, spirit-filled counsel to help us live healthy, carefree, worry-free lives. You said, Jesus, to come to you. All those who are heavy laden, weighed down, burdened with worry, He says, and I will give you rest. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But when we start to carry the load, we become weak and feeble. We begin to stagger under the weight until we can't go anymore. And we just quit. We drop out of sight. We just remain kind of like Elijah in the cave. God, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I quit. The Bible says that 
the government shall be upon his shoulders, speaking about the prophecy of Christ. You see, God's shoulders were made to carry a load, to carry our load. Jesus says, give it to me. I'll give you rest. I'll make your burden light. But if we insist on carrying it, it'll only cause us harm. Unnecessary harm. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been carrying a burden. You're carrying a load. You don't know how to get rid of it. So you worry and you fret. And it just makes life miserable. Jesus said, I came to set you free. I want to lift that load from you. I want you to walk with me. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship. And if God has spoken to you this morning, young or old or in between, it doesn't matter. If you recognize your need for Christ and your need to have that yoke lifted from you and enter into his rest. Then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, you make your way down the aisle towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray a simple prayer of faith together.